Well, thank you for Tally for reading so beautifully to us this morning. Thank you for that gorgeous smile as well. I can't get enough of that. Well, today we're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus that was subtitled The Power of Storytelling. And stories are incredibly powerful. It's probably why uh, a number of you have spent the last year binging on box sets on Netflix. We all love a good story. It draws us in and it engages our hearts and our mind. But the parables are more than just um, a good story. They root a form of spiritual truth in something that we hopefully will relate to. And some parables are intended to provoke an emotional response in us as well. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a good example of this. The listener hears something that surprises or maybe um, even shocks them. And this parable that we're looking at today is no exception to that. It's a bit like um, if you're from uh, my generation or before, you might remember in the late 70s, early 80s, a TV series uh, based on the short stories of Roald Dahl called The Tales of the Unexpected, or perhaps more up to date if you've seen on the BBC a series called Inside Number Nine, a series of short stories, little vignettes of just 30 minutes long, but with a real twist in the tale and something that surprises or shocks you at the end. And that's what we've got today. This parable today um, is about a vineyard. I have to admit that up until a couple of days ago, my knowledge of vineyards was extremely limited. Um, it's not that much better now, but a couple of nights ago, um, I had the opportunity at a Zoom birthday party, as we seem to do nowadays, of actually speaking to a, a wine grower from South Africa and tasting some of his produce as well. So I now knew a tiny, tiny bit about vineyards. But unlike me, uh, the situation described by Jesus in this parable would have been really familiar to his original uh, listeners. They would have identified with what was going on. A landowner with a vineyard who needed workers to come in and dig and prune and perhaps harvest the grapes. Well, this parable starts off, as many of them do, with uh, Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Well, the kingdom of heaven isn't as we might perhaps traditionally understand it or think of it maybe a place to go uh, to be with God when we die. It's really talking about a place, any place, where God reigns as king, where we submit to his rules, his values, and his purposes. And that place and that time can be right here and right now, when we show compassion and we show kindness to those in need when we show support and offer counsel to the hurting, his kingdom is expressed. As our characters are changed and conformed into the likeness of Christ, as his will is done in our lives, then we're experiencing something of the kingdom of God here and now. As we pray often in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come on earth, as it is in heaven. So this parable is here to teach us of something of what it should be like when we allow God to reign in our lives as king. And as I said, this would have been a familiar scenario for the original listeners. We have a marketplace where the manual workers of the day would have gathered from the beginning of the day with the hopes of getting a day's work. And these early workers were picked up by the landowner probably about six o'clock in the morning 
really early start for them. But they would have been the keen ones, the hard workers, probably the skilled workers. And the landowner offers them a fair day's wage. He offers them a denarius. It was commonly understood that that was a fair pay for a fair day's work in those days. But then the landowner comes back again at nine o'clock in the morning, at noon, at three o'clock in the afternoon to hire more workers. He wouldn't have got the very best of the workers at that time, but they'd have still been worth hiring. And he says they'll be paid what is right. And then towards the end of the day, five o'clock in the afternoon, he comes to the marketplace again and he finds some guys hanging around there. And he says, why have you been standing here doing nothing? And they're very honest. And they said, well, no one's hired us. They would have probably been the unskilled, the undesirables, the unwanted, the less useful workers. I don't know if, like me, you can think back to your days at school in a PE class when you would have had team sports. And for some reason, the teachers thought it was a great idea to pick two people as team captains who were really good at that sport. And they would individually, one by one, pick each person to be in their team. And you knew that there would be three or four people at the end that were always left till last because nobody wanted them. I really hope they don't do that in school at the moment. But it's a little bit like what was happening here. These were the guys that nobody really wanted to hire. But the landowner comes and he hires them. They don't even talk about wages. They're just happy to have a job for the day. So it gets to an hour later, it gets to six o'clock, and all's going well until the wages start to be dished out. And the five o'clock workers were paid. And they were paid for a full day's work, even though they'd only worked for an hour. So those that had worked all day must have thought, wow, this is a really generous guy. We're in for a really good bonus. And so far, so good. But suddenly, Jesus says that the landowner does something that has the listeners scratching their head and feeling a little perturbed. And if we're honest, I think it probably leaves us in that position as well. The landowner decides to pay everyone the same wage, regardless of how long or how hard they've worked. To draw another analogy, it would be like um, if you were preparing hard to sit an exam. You're capable, you're an intelligent student, you've got a lot of talent and you've studied fastidiously. And then the results day come and you get an A. Fantastic. But then you log on to your social media account and you suddenly realize that everybody who sat that exam got an A. Everyone passed with flying colors, even those who weren't particularly bright or those who hadn't done any study or any revision at all. Knowing that doesn't alter the grade that you received, but it doesn't seem particularly fair. So what is this parable all about? On the face of it, at very best, Jesus seems to be advocating some sort of economic communism. At worst, he seems to be telling us that the kingdom of heaven is all about social and economic unfairness and injustice. But I don't think this parable is exactly what it seems on the surface. Because this parable isn't about paying people an appropriate hourly rate or fairness in the workplace. It's all about the landowner standing in the place of God in this parable and teaching us about God's amazing grace. 
his awesome generosity in providing something that in and of ourselves we don't deserve. That's why the people who only got started at the end of the day still get a day's wage. Because God is a generous God who delights in giving what is not deserved. He takes joy in lavishing people with his free and his radical gift of grace. The landowner still paid those who worked all day a day's wage, a fair wage. He is fair, but he goes beyond fair into the realms of incredible generosity, which is a demonstration of God's character in terms of his extravagant gift of grace to us. God is extravagant. He chooses to bless the least, the last, the undeserving with grace upon grace. God's way of acting might seem maybe unfair at first glance because he decides to be gracious, loving, forgiving and merciful to those who didn't work for it or earn it or perhaps deserve it. But that's God's economy where generosity and kindness reigns. And it can often seem upside down when we compare it to our own modern day society. When the world cries out for punishment, God cries out for forgiveness. When the world reminds people of their duty, God seeks to show them love. When the world demands that people are held responsible, God extends more grace. This is perhaps something that we can be mindful of and to pay attention in our current culture where forgiveness and grace, I think, are becoming increasingly alien concepts. You don't have to delve very far into the world of social media or online forums to discover people that are out for the blood of those who they consider to have made a misstep of some kind or another. Often a comment that is made that's deemed to be perhaps sexist or racist or unacceptable in some way, shape or form. It's been termed uh, cancel culture. It's kind of a modern form of ostracism in which someone's kind of thrust out of social or professional circles, uh, whether it be online or through social media or in person, and are therefore said to be cancelled. Usually results in a loss of reputation and income depending on the severity of it, it can be really difficult to recover from. And quite often, those that are responsible for doing the cancelling aren't really concerned with hearing any form of forgiveness or reparation. Now, this is a really nuanced topic, and there is no way that in two minutes I'm going to be able to offer a detailed Christian response to it. We're going to leave that for another time. Perhaps that's one for our incoming vicar to get his teeth into. But suffice to say, I think that one of the dangers of having a cancel culture attitude to those that we interact with is that we risk not living out this concept of God's grace as described in this parable. We have to be careful not to put ourselves in the position of the first workers in this parable. They put themselves in the position of judge and jury over what was fair and right. But more than that, they compared themselves to others. Do you notice that their chief complaint wasn't actually that they, they themselves weren't paid enough? After all, they'd agreed their wages at the beginning of the shift and they got paid that. But in verse 12, their complaint is 
you have made them, i.e. those that had worked later in the day, you've made them equal to us. They felt that the later workers were of a lower standard, not in their league. They didn't deserve what they'd been given. We want to be seen as superior, is their cry. We want everyone to know that we're better than them. When we express and maybe even write our opinions about others for all the world to see, are we demonstrating anything of the grace of God in our words? So in terms of today's cancel culture, does that mean that we shouldn't stand up against bigotry or sexism or racism or hypocrisy when we see it in our society? No, of course not. If so, Jesus would have never turned over the money-changing tables in the temple or called the Pharisees and the Sadducees some pretty interesting names at times. Does it mean that we shouldn't be fighting against unfairness, fighting for the poor, the oppressed, working against injustice in our society? No, of course not. Jesus and the other writers of the New Testament have much to say about our role in social justice in the world in which we live. But they have just as much to say about how we live out God's grace, his kingdom values of grace, love, and forgiveness in our interactions with others. Do we demonstrate God's extravagant grace for all people in the ways that we act, the words that we speak or write, the thoughts that we allow to fester in our minds, or the opinions that we post on social media forums? When I turn the spotlight on myself, I recognize that I can be guilty of not extending God's grace that I've freely received to others. And probably more times each week than I'd care to admit. Grace can be a really difficult concept to both understand and to accept. In the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler there stumbled over the concept of grace. The workers who'd been working all day long in the vineyard stumbled over grace. Religious, moral people, good citizens, churchgoers of today stumble over the concept of grace. After all, here in the West, in our society, we're used to understanding that if we study hard and we work hard, we put in the hours, we put in the hard graft, then we'll receive our reward for that, in many ways financial, and that we rightly deserve that. But as our previous vicar used to often remind us, everything that we have is a result of God's grace. What have we done to deserve it? Did we choose where we were born, when we were born, who our parents are, our inherent abilities? No. What we do with those great gifts and abilities that God has given us is another matter. And Jesus has things to say about how uh, we work hard with what we've been given in uh, another parable. But ultimately, whatever we have is a testament to God's grace in our lives before we were even born. The ultimate act of grace in our lives, of course, is what we especially remember at Easter, Christ dying on a cross for us. 
removing our sin, allowing us to come into relationship with a holy God, the one that Callum was singing about in our first song today, something that we could never earn or deserve as a result of our own merit. God doesn't give wages. He gives gifts according to his grace and generosity. In fact, when wages are mentioned in the New Testament, it's actually talking about sin and the things that we really do deserve. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's grace, God's mercy encapsulated in one verse. God seeks out those who are lost. He hires those he shouldn't. He pays more than they deserve. And he gives them his most precious treasure, his only son, for free. So, as we close, I pray that we can, all of us, fully grasp the extravagance of the grace that God has given to us. We who didn't work for it or deserve it. May we understand how much grace we've received and to be able to respond thankfully for it. And may we endeavour to live our lives in our attitudes and in the ways that we interact with others in such a way that it brings in the kingdom of God by demonstrating his extravagant grace for all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your extravagant grace for us. Grace that we did not deserve, that we could not hope to earn. But we thank you that you have sought us out when we were lost. That you have given us your son as a free gift of grace that we might come into a right relationship with you. Lord, help us in some small way this week to live out that extravagant grace in our own lives as we seek to live for you. Amen.